I want you to turn with me to the Gospel of John. The Gospel of John in chapter 13. John chapter 13, we return to the beginning of John chapter 13 where we began last week. I want you to follow along as I read the first five verses in John chapter 13. It says in John 13, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that His hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved His own who were in the world, He loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper, he laid aside his outer garments, and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin, and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a towel that was wrapped around him. Would you bow your head with me for a word of prayer? Father in heaven, we thank you for the word before us this morning. We thank you especially for Jesus Christ, your one and only Son, whom we see here in the passage before us today, serving the disciples. Father, I pray you would teach us and encourage us and challenge us to learn by Jesus' example, by the many examples we have from others, even in your word, to serve, to serve you faithfully, to serve you obediently by serving one another. God, I pray, teach us, instruct us, and help us to see your truths as powerful and effective and necessary for our lives today. We ask you to teach us and instruct our hearts. God, I pray that you would help remove distractions from our minds this morning, that we might understand your word and apply it to our own lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We began our look at this passage last week with the emphasis on verse 1, where John tells us of, of Jesus' pure love for his own, his This is a precious love he has for his own. It's a permanent love he has for his own. Today, a closer look at verses 1 through 5 should give us a very clear demonstration. You see it here. I just read it. We see a very clear demonstration of Jesus' love for his own here. The setting is shortly before the Jewish feast of Passover, as John tells us in verse 1. Of course, the Passover feast had begun as a remembrance. It was a memorial of the time when God delivered Israel out of the land of Egypt. And of course, I, I think we understand this all, don't we? That, that now, now we understand more fully the, the imagery in the Passover. I think we understand now that the Passover was a very clear illustration of what Christ would actually accomplish as he went to the cross. We know he went to the cross to, to take the punishment for our sins, and that's Exactly what the Passover lamb and the sacrifice and the and the blood sprinkled on the doorpost signified being passed over. Uh, Jesus would come and shed his blood and be the sacrifice for our sins, and God would pass over our sins, in effect, calling us righteous because of Christ as we 
place our faith and trust in Jesus Christ and find forgiveness of sins because of what he accomplished on the cross. We see, we see Jesus is pointed that he knows that's coming. He knows his hour has come. We see it pointed to there in verse one. And Christ taking on himself the punishment for our sin was just, was simply the greatest act of love that we can think of, isn't it? And here he is with his disciples, and it won't be much longer until he's taken captive and then, and then cruelly treated and, and crucified. And John says in verse 1 that Jesus knows the time for him to be crucified has come. That's what he's saying. That's what he means in verse 1, when Jesus knew that his hour had come. It was time for him to depart out of this world to the Father. He knew that it was time for him to bear the punishment for our sins. And Jesus knows He will soon demonstrate by way of the ultimate sacrifice His love for the world and His love for mankind. And John says something interesting. Having loved His own. Of course, we think of, we think of God's love for mankind as demonstrated through Jesus Christ on the cross. But, but here in verse 1, we learn something interesting that we noted it, we noted it at length last week that, that there's a specific kind of a special kind of love Jesus has for his own. Those whom the Father has given him. And it says in verse 1, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And we think of, when we think of the end, we think of the, the work of Christ on the cross. It's Christ's ultimate sacrifice of Calvary that we think of, and we think, think of that very clearly and very often when we hear that he loved his own to the end. But here in these first five verses of chapter 13, there's, this, there's also this simple act of service. There's this humble act of service by Jesus Christ. Here in, ver, in the first five verses we have before us in chapter 13 is this simple act of, of self-sacrifice. The humble and, and, and meek kind of act of humility on Jesus' part that I think was intended to teach his disciples then and teach his disciples now how they are to serve him by serving one another. Of course, we, we know the teaching of Scripture is that as followers of Christ, we're to serve one another, right? Do we understand that? That God's Word teaches us that we are to serve one another. And we don't do that so that others will serve us. I mean, we might. We might do that. That's not why we're supposed to serve one another, right? The Bible makes clear we, we love Him because He first loved us. One of the ways, and I spoke of it earlier as we began to sing this morning, one of the ways we show our love for Christ is by ministering to the needs of others, by, by showing the love of Christ by our witness, by our service, by our ministry to meet the, the needs of others and especially meeting their needs by showing them Christ and making Him known. Of course, we know the teaching of Scripture is, is just that, that as followers of Christ, we're to serve one another, and we are to serve others as Christ has served us. And again, when we think of that, we think of how Christ was crucified for our sin. We often think, okay, I'm supposed to serve others like Jesus serves me. And he, what did he do? He gave his life. He gave his life. And I'm supposed to serve others that way for God's glory. That's the ultimate example of serving, isn't it? Giving your life for someone. But how many of us really think we're going to have to give our life 
Have you ever thought about that? I mean, this is the ultimate example of serving someone else, right? Jesus gave his life. But how many of us really think we're going to be called on to give our life for someone else? How many of us, even when we agree with God's word here and say, yes, this is the example that I need to live by, Jesus' sacrifice for my sins at Calvary, how many of us, when we agree with God's word, that, that we are to serve each other out of our love for and obedience to Christ, really think that that love will require us to actually give our life for another? I don't think any of us think that, do we? I don't think we catch ourselves thinking this at all. We don't ever think, well, you know, I'm, God's expecting me to go out and give my, my life, shed my blood for someone. And that's why I think what we see here in these first five verses of John chapter 13 is so important for us. Because when we move into chapter 13, Jesus is thinking about the fact that his time to suffer and die has come. It's on him now. It won't be, it won't be many more hours now. And it's time for the ultimate sacrifice for sinners. But what does he do? As he leads up to this time, I think it's very interesting what he does. Now, in our human kind of thinking, we don't understand this, I don't think, because we would think very differently. If we knew our time was about to come for us to be cruel, tr cruelly treated and crucified, I'm, I'm not sure we would have the mind that Christ has here. What does Jesus do with his disciples? How does he help prepare them? for the time when he will no longer be with them in body. Does Jesus begin to feel sorry for himself? Is that what we see here? Does he begin to say to the disciples, guys, you just don't know what I'm going to have to go through. Now, now sit down and listen for a moment. Minute, moment. Let me tell you what I see coming so that, so that you can understand this. Uh, you need to serve me now. You need to minister to my needs. I'm going to suffer and die for your sins. You need to minister to my needs now. Do we see that? That's not what he's doing, is it? Does he expect his disciples to kind of hover over him and care for him and dote over him as, as he approaches the, the hour of his death? Absolutely not. Does he expect his disciples to come and take great pity on him and serve him and we don't see him expecting this at all, do we? It's just the opposite what we see. Jesus knows the time for his sacrifice for sinners is now. It's on him. He knows, as we see in verse 2, that Judas is already in the process of betraying him. Of all times for his disciples to serve him. Of all the times for, for Jesus' disciples to serve him. It's now. But instead, he serves them. I mean, he's just about to make the ultimate sacrifice. Why does he need to do this? But nonetheless, he serves them in this humble fashion by getting down on his hands and knees and washing the filthy feet of his disciples. He serves them in this most humble of demonstrations of his love for them. And I think the reason he does this is to show them how they are to serve one another when he's gone and show us how we're to serve one another while we await his return. I want to suggest that not only is Jesus showing his love for his own, he is also showing his own how they are to serve one another. You get that? 
He's not simply showing how much he cares for them, but he's also showing them how they're supposed to care for one another for God's glory, for the sake of the gospel. And we, I think we desperately need an example of service like this from Christ because I don't think we can fathom actually being called on to give our life for someone else. But what Jesus is doing here with his disciples, we can all do. You realize that? God has equipped us and gifted us so that we can all serve others for his glory, for the sake of the gospel in this way. We should all see the example of Jesus here and understand that this is a very real demonstration of how we can serve others and how we are, in fact, called as followers of Christ to serve others for the sake of the gospel, for the advance of the gospel in this world in which we live. And this is service we're to give out of our love and devotion to Christ and obedience to God's word and for the sake of the gospel. You understand that, right? I mean, this isn't the kind of service that we give so that others will say, oh, what a humble person. Let's elevate them. No, this is ministry that we do, the service we give without any hope for reward. Do you think that Jesus was serving his disciples so that they would then fall all over themselves and serve him? No, he wasn't doing this for that reason. So here's the example we have from Christ. Here's an example for his followers to live by. Are you a follower of Christ? This morning, here's an example for you to live by, for me to live by. And it's a powerful example. Think of it. Though Christ fully deserved to be served, instead, he served. Now, we can identify with how we think we deserve to be served, right? I mean, we we often... Um, throughout our day, probably, you think, wait a minute, that's my right, or that's my privilege, or, or I deserve better than this. Or how dare so-and-so say that to me? I, I deserve better than that. Or how dare that person cut me off in traffic? I don't deserve that. Or how... Right? And we can think of all kinds of things that we deserve, and we can identify with what we feel like we deserve. Listen, Christ deserved to be worshipped. Really, we don't deserve anything good. God is gracious with us to give us anything good. You understand that? We haven't. We couldn't possibly earn God's grace. It's a gift, and we ought to praise God for it. If there's anyone who ever deserved anything, it was Jesus Christ. He deserved to be worshipped. He deserved to be served. But what did He do? He didn't wait for them to come and serve Him. He served them. Jesus, of all people on earth, deserved to be served. I want to give you a few a few pointers as to why this is true, and it's clear in God's Word that this is true. For one thing, He's God in human flesh. Right? I mean, Jesus came, he, born as a babe, yes, but He's the God-man, born in human flesh. He took on flesh. Verse 1 reminds us, that he is about to depart out of this world. Verse 3 says that Jesus knows that he had come from God and was going back to God. Jesus is about to return to God the Father. He's the God-man. He's God the Son. There's none other like him. And as God in human flesh, he is worthy to be served, isn't he? He is worthy to be worshipped like no one else on earth. 
Jesus also deserved to be served because he is about to make the ultimate sacrifice, is he not? And I'm not only talking about his cruel death on the cross when I speak of his ultimate sacrifice. I'm also talking about the depth of grief that he will bear on himself, the torment of soul that he will bear as he experiences the wrath of God poured out on him for the sins of you and me and millions of other people. Think of it. I mean, I don't think we can fathom. We don't, I don't think we can understand the grief that was Christ as he suffered the punishment for our sins. He certainly deserves to be served because of this, this ultimate sacrifice. Jesus also deserved to be served because God the Father, as seen in verse 3, had given all things into his hands. None of us can say that, right? I suppose you could say it, but it wouldn't be true. True of Christ, as we hear Jesus say in John 6.37, all that the Father gives me will come to me. You see, Jesus knew who he was. He knew what we know from Colossians 1.16, where it says, For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. Jesus knew he'd been sent on this mission by God that, and that he was worthy of all praise and worship. You realize that? He understood that he was worthy to be worshipped and praised. Just as Romans 11.36 says, For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. You see, Jesus knew as we hear him say in Matthew 28.18, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to God the Son, Jesus Christ. And yes, Jesus deserved to be worshipped and honored and adored and magnified and served. Oh, how he deserved to be served that day and always. But he didn't ask to be served. He didn't expect to be served. Instead, he lowered himself to the place of a slave. You realize that? He lowered himself to the place of a slave and he washed the disciples' feet. Look at verses 4 and 5 again. Verse 4 says, He rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. I read one commentator this week who said it would be like a businessman taking off his suit, his jacket, his tie, his shirt, even his trousers, putting on a loincloth and getting down and washing someone's feet. And verse 5 says, Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a towel that was wrapped around him. Now, from the perspective of the culture we live in, I'm not sure we can fully comprehend what's going on here. Um, it's hard to think of something that's like foot washing. And even if we could think of something that was like foot washing, I don't think we really totally even understand the practice of foot washing. But 
R.C. Sproul helps us when he says this, and he writes about this and illustrates very well, which I think is helpful. He says, in 2003, when the United States invaded Iraq, I sat glued to my television set for days and watched the amazing footage that was broadcast. One scene that stands out in my mind from those days was the jubilant celebration of the Iraqi people as U.S. Marines pulled down a 40-foot statue of Saddam Hussein in Baghdad. The statue was torn from its pedestal and dragged through the streets, and children were shown riding on the head of the statue as if it were a sled. But I also remember the way in which the people of Iraq used their shoes or their sandals to pound against the statue and the posters of Saddam that were still being displayed in Baghdad. The commentators explained that among the Iraqi people, to beat a person or even the person's image with one's shoe is to show the deepest possible form of contempt for that person. That incident came back to me as I dealt with the text that's before us in John 13 in which we see our Lord Jesus washing the feet of his disciples. The Iraqi people's actions helped me understand the depth of lowliness to which Jesus stooped when he handled his disciples' filthy feet in this ritual of cleansing. In antiquity, when a rabbi had disciples, they typically acted as his servants. However, they were never required to wash the rabbi's feet. That task was reserved for slaves. But even some slaves were spared this task. Within Israel, if a Jewish person had a Jewish slave, the slave owner was not permitted to require that slave to wash his feet. Only a Gentile slave could be required to perform such a menial task. So the fact that Jesus himself undertook this task and that he did it during Holy Week fills this narrative with theological and ethical significance for us. Indeed it does. Can you, can you fathom it? Can you picture it now? Can you picture Jesus lowering himself to the place of a slave to wash his disciples' feet? Can you grasp the significance of what Jesus is doing for his disciples? I want you to go with me to Philippians 2 because there's a passage there that I think will help us grasp this and fully understand what's, what's being taught here by Jesus. Philippians chapter 2. And just think of what Jesus has done here. Can you grasp the importance of what Jesus is teaching by his actions? Jesus lowers himself to the floor, taking the role of a slave to wash the disciples' feet. And not only of his true followers, you realize this, right? He also washed the feet of the one who was already about the business of betraying him, Judas. He lowers himself to the place of the slave to wash his followers' feet and also his betrayer's feet. And Jesus is teaching, I believe, by this great act of humility, what Paul shows us in Philippians 2 is also the role of all of Jesus' true followers. Speaking to followers of Christ, Paul writes in Philippians 2, look at verse 5. Beginning in verse 5, I'm going to read through verse 11. Philippians 2, verses 5 and 6 says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Now, this isn't our mind by nature, is it? Right? 
Verse 5, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours, how? In Christ Jesus. If you're Christ, this is to be your heart. To serve like Christ. How? Verse 6, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. In other words, though Jesus was God in human flesh, he chose not to take full advantage of his every right and privilege as God. Now, you and I believe we have rights and privileges, right? And some laws we have make it clear that we have rights and privileges in our United States of America, right? And we thank God for those. As much as we think we have rights and privileges, and we think we deserve things, we ought to be able to serve like Christ, who, being God in human flesh, chose not to be treated as God in human flesh. He chose instead to serve like a slave. And this is what we are called to as God's followers, as followers of Jesus Christ. We are called to serve in the same way. We think we have rights and privileges and some some privileges and rights we have. But you realize that God's word calls us to, to in, instead of taking advantage of our rights and privileges, to say, I'm going to serve like a slave for the sake of the gospel so that others can see Christ. And verse 7 says, look at Philippians 2 again. In verse 7, Jesus did this. He made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So not only did Jesus stoop to take on human flesh, becoming a man, Not only did Jesus lower himself to wash the feet of his disciples and the one who was going to betray him and was betraying him, but he also lowered himself, becoming obedient all the way to the cross, all the way to the point of death, all the way to the point of suffering the anguish and pain of taking the punishment from God that we deserve for our sins. And verse 9 says, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So get this, God the Father has exalted God the Son to receive all the glory that's due his name. And why? And there's much glory due his name, but why? What's the purpose of this glory? Verses 10 and 11 makes clear the purpose. So that... At the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You see, ultimately, there will come a day when all mankind, whether saved or unsaved, will see Jesus for who he is, and even though it will be too late, sadly, for many to be saved, every knee will bow. They will bow to him. And every tongue will confess the truth of just who he is, and all will bring great glory to God the Father in doing so. But the point for us today... You see, do you see that until that day, until the day of Christ's return, 
What Jesus was teaching his disciples by washing their feet, and that includes us if we are his disciples, it's as if we were seated there that day and he was washing our feet, as undeserving as we are. What he was teaching them that day and he's teaching us today is that we are to serve Him by serving one another and by serving the lost. And as we serve, we are declaring His name and proclaiming His majesty until He comes so that people will see Him clearly and bow down and worship Him now before it's too late. Humbly confessing and repenting of their sin and putting their faith in Jesus Christ. So why are we to serve? So that people now will see Jesus so that people now will see him clearly for who he is and put their trust in him and proclaim their faith in him and declare declare their allegiance to him now before it's too late. See, we are all to serve as followers of Christ. Do you understand that none of us as followers of Christ are exempt from being called to service? to serve Him faithfully. We are all to serve so that people now will be forgiven their sins and saved as they see Christ and put their faith in Him. You see, there are many ways we serve Christ by serving others. That's another message in and of itself, maybe another series of messages about how we're to serve. But the fact is that God has given us all gifts to use as we serve Him. He has gifted all His children. Not one of you is without gifts that God has given you that He intends for you to use for His service. If you are God's child, He has gifted you, and He is gifting you, and He is growing you as you take steps of obedience to His Word so that you will serve Him faithfully and make Christ known. And know this, And this is an amazing statement. I read it to you earlier in our worship service in 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 20. This is just an amazing statement I I am challenged by and greatly encouraged by, and you ought to realize how privileged you are to be named here if you're God's child. 2 Corinthians 5.20, which makes very clear why the example we have from Christ in the washing of the feet is one we're to take personally and, and follow willingly, lowering ourselves to the place of a servant, a slave, to serve others for the sake of the gospel. Here's why we should follow Jesus' example and actively serve. 2 Corinthians 5.20 again says, Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making His appeal through us. Here's His appeal. And this is, this is our appeal as we serve others for, for the sake of the gospel. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Therefore we are, let me use a different word here. Yes, it says ambassadors. We are slaves for Christ. And this is a good thing. Slave, that word has some difficult connotations in our society, doesn't it? Some We kind of cringe when we hear the word slave. But this is a good thing. 
The Scriptures use this word and, and help us see that being a slave to Christ and being a slave to the gospel is, is what this world needs. This community in which we live needs a church called Higgins Lake Baptist Church to be made up of people who are slaves for the sake of the gospel who will say, this is what I'm called to. I have the example of Jesus Christ to live by. Therefore, we are ambassadors or slaves for Christ. God making His appeal through us. Do you realize how privileged you are that God would choose to use you and me to be His ambassadors, His slaves, to make His appeal through, to point people to Christ? He doesn't need us. You realize God can do anything? God could write it in the heavens. But He doesn't. He chooses us. He chooses us to be as ambassadors. Isn't that amazing? God makes His appeal to the unsaved world through us, His people. And we are to serve Christ. And we are to serve one another. And we are to serve the lost. Because God has chosen to make His appeal through us to the world to trust in Him and Him alone. And when we understand that, when we grasp the importance of that and the privilege that's ours as those whom God uses to call the lost to faith in Christ... I have to believe that the, that the natural question that comes to our mind should be this. How can I serve Him today? How can I serve Him today? Let's pray. Our Father in Heaven, we thank You for Jesus Christ, Your Son. We thank You for for sending your Son to be the sacrifice for our sins. We thank you. We praise you. We glorify you. God, I pray that this wouldn't be just the words that come from our lips that we, that we thank you. But God, I pray that it would be the attitude of our hearts, that it would be the conduct of our lives, that we love you and we show our love for you and thanks to you and gratitude to you and love to your son by our obedience, by our walk with you, by the way we serve, serving amidst the body of Christ you call the church, serving where you've placed us in this world in which we live with neighbors who need Christ and co-workers who need Christ and loved ones who need Christ. Help us, Father, I pray, by, by way of our reverent love for you and our joyful love, that we, we show our love to you by our service to others as we serve you. God, I pray, show us. Give us wisdom. Open our eyes to the opportunities that, that are surrounding us, that abound to serve you as we serve others for your glory. God, I pray, open our eyes to the ways we serve as a part of the body of Christ, the church, under the head, Christ, for your glory. 
so that others might see Christ. Father, I pray, help us to see, as you've made us your ambassadors, help us to see how we are ambassadors for Jesus Christ, proclaiming the truth, making an appeal to unbelievers to believe in him. Grow us, I pray, in Christ-likeness. Help us to see Jesus' example today and to live by his example as he could have could have called the disciples to worship him then. Instead, he served them. Lord, I pray, help us to realize we are not, we are not above getting down on our hands and knees and serving, serving others, serving one another for the sake of the gospel, for the good, for the good of the gospel that, that works in the lives of unbelievers, to proclaim his name, to make him known. Help us to realize the privilege that's before us, being called ambassadors for Jesus Christ. And help us to learn and live by Jesus' example for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.